Today on Regionally Speaking, the new season of The Whitney Reynolds Show will debut on Lakeshore PBS Monday, October 17th at 6 p.m. The show's host, Whitney Reynolds, will join us to share what's on deck for the inspirational show where your story matters. But up first, after learning the city's legislative districts have a total population deviation of almost 20%, Valparaiso has begun the redistricting process. Common Cause Indiana Executive Director Julia Vaughn will join us to talk about a public forum happening later this evening to discuss the process. All of that on this edition of Regionally Speaking, after the news. And welcome back to Regionally Speaking. I'm Dee Dotson, and he's Tom Maloney. Redistricting, the process of drawing electoral district boundaries, takes place in the United States following the completion of each decennial census to account for population shifts. While the rules for redistricting can vary from state to state, all states draw new legislative maps either in the state legislature in redistricting commissions, or through some combination of the two, and that same principle can be applied at the state or township level. The location of district lines decide which voters vote for which representative. Changing the lines will change the relevant voters and can change the identity, allegiance, and political priorities of a district's representative and of the legislative delegation as a whole. The city of Valparaiso has begun the redistricting process after learning the city's legislative districts have a total population deviation of almost 20%. As Valparaiso gets to work on its new city council districts, some are calling on the city to make it easier for residents to submit their own proposed maps. Joining us today to talk about how the public can participate in the map drawing process is Julia Vaughn, Executive Director of Common Cause Indiana. Her organization, in partnership with the League of Women Voters of Porter County, are hosting a public forum this evening. Julia, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Well, thanks so much for having me, Dee. It's great to be here. Great. So, Julia, we had you on today because there has been a lot of conversations about the whole topic of redistricting. And so my first question to you is, as we chatted for a little bit offline, is can you take a moment to explain what is redistricting? Sure. Um, You did a good job in the intro, but let me just expand on that. You know, every 10 years after we've got a new count of exactly how many people are in the United States, how many people are in Indiana, our uh, legislators, both at the state and local level, have to redraw political lines. And this is all to enforce the constitutional principle of one person, one vote. Um, goes back to a Supreme Court decision from 1964. But the problem is, as you mentioned, because it's been 10 years, Valparaiso has grown in some areas, it's it shrunk in others. So those districts are now very uneven in terms of population. So that means that people in the smaller districts are getting more representation than people in the uh, bigger districts. So we've got to even those out. It should be a pretty straightforward process, but the problem comes with who has the job of doing this. 
uh, here in Indiana and in a lot of states across the country, the redistricting job falls to the politicians, the people who are actually current in office and have a conflict of interest. You know, if they can manipulate the lines to improve their chances of getting reelected, most politicians have a hard time resisting that temptation. So process is extremely important when it comes to redistricting. And we've been advocating at the state and local level for a way to get citizens more engaged in redistricting, because after all, they're our districts. So we really need to have a say in how these basic building blocks for elections will be formed. Julia, when you talk about redistricting and uh, maps and, and lines being drawn, what are they for? Are these for city council seats? Are these for state representative seats? Are these, you know, right. who, are, right. who are we voting for when, when these lines are drawn? Right. What we're talking about right now in Valparaiso and in other communities across Indiana are city council districts. The way the timeline works is that last year, in the year immediately following the decennial federal census, it was the job of state legislatures, and they draw not just their legislative maps, but also the congressional districts. And then also in 2021, counties had the job of redrawing districts for county commissions. So now the year later, two years after the federal census, it's now the responsibility of city councils to redraw their lines. So again, the whole idea is to even things up so that all citizens are fairly represented, have equal representation in the process, but it gets murky because it's a very political process and one that traditionally the public has not paid a whole lot of attention to. Now, I'm happy to tell you that that has changed significantly. You know, we have worked a long time with organizations like the League of Women Voters to educate Hoosiers about how really important this is. Because as Dee said in the intro, um, this really will impact who's representing you, um, what kind of balance or imbalance there is in the legislative body, and ultimately how well or well not citizens can make their voices heard in their government. We're talking with Julia Vaughn with Common Cause Indiana on the voting rights organization to host the public forum uh, on the Valpo City Council for redistricting happening this evening at the Valparaiso High School uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. And uh, Barbara Domer, uh, redistricting chairperson for the uh, Porter County League of Women Voters, had said recently, our, our goal in hosting this forum is to bring greater public awareness to local redistricting and foster a process that's inclusive, equitable, and transparent, and that welcomes public input. So, Julia, in, in talking about being transparent and, and welcoming that public input, more often than not, these maps are drawn behind closed doors, like Dee said in the intro, and like you, you said as well, it, to the victory go the spoils, right? Yep. If, if you've won office, whether it's at a city level, a county level, a statewide level, you know, you kind of get to draw the map in your favor, right? You've, you've won the battle, so right. you get to take the called, land. That's called gerrymandering, and it goes way back to, you know, almost revolutionary war days. A guy named Elbridge Gerry was the first to practice it in his state of 
um, Massachusetts. So, yeah, and everybody does it, you know, Republicans, Democrats, whoever's in control, um, as you said, to the party go the spoils. So, you know, I I really want to congratulate the Porter County League because I think they've already had a significant success in flushing this out into the public space. Um, You know, I think had they not stood up and said, hey, wait a second, redistricting is really important and we want to be involved and you need to carve out a way for the public to be engaged in this. I think Valparaiso would have done what most cities across Indiana have done and uh, just, you know, had this done internally, outsourced it to a consultant. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about Valparaiso and a lot of cities across Indiana They've hired an outside consultant in the case of Valpo and many other cities, a firm from Indianapolis called uh, Kroger, Gardas, and Regas. And the really interesting thing about Kroger, Gardas, and Regas is the person who's doing most of the work for them on local redistricting is the former Republican Speaker of the Indiana House of Representatives, Brian Bosma. So that gives you an idea of how very political and insider this process can be. So, again, I, I really congratulate the league for standing up and saying, hey, Valpo City Council, let's slow this down and let's talk about how the public can really be involved. I think what Valpo has come up with could be improved, um, but at least they are recognizing that the public has a right to have a say in what these districts turn out to be. Hey, Julie, I have a question. You just mentioned Bosma being a part of this process. Are there any concerns about him in particular being a part of this process? Well, just that, you know, Brian Bosma doesn't live in Valparaiso. He doesn't know the community. And so it's very important that community members be able to play a part in this process. Um, you know, Speaker Bosma was actually an a supporter of redistricting reform uh, when he was Speaker of the House. Now, he didn't fight for it quite as hard as we would have liked. But I do want to acknowledge that he has uh, said uh, that politicians drawing their own lines isn't the best way to go about it. But, you know, I I think we got to be careful when we bring in outsiders. And again, this is common. Mr. Bosma's firm is working in cities uh, across the uh, state. They were involved in St. Joseph's County's redistricting last year. Uh, which was extremely controversial from a political perspective. So I just think anytime you have political actors or former political actors that are completely in control of this, then naturally it's going to get very partisan, very political. So that just points to the need for transparency, for providing a way for the public to have some real say in the process. So that say in the process, though, theoretically might come from the ballot box. You know, is the Valpo City Council going to take into account these maps, or is this going to be a, well, we gave you a shot, thanks for your participation, but we're going to do things the way we wanted to do them? Sure. Well, that's why we want to encourage people to show up in person at the Valparaiso Council meeting on October 24th when they will review both the map that was drawn by the law firm represented by Mr. Bosma and also consider any maps that the public submits. Now, 
you know, uh, it could be a pro forma exercise and, you know, some theater to make it seem as if the public uh, is being engaged, but, you know, they're going along with what they had planned anyway. But I think if a large crowd of engaged citizens show up, then that's less likely to happen. I mean, one of our, our mantras is slow down and do this right. You know, there's no rush for them to get this done this month or even next month. The deadline is December 31st, so the very last day of the year. Mm -hmm. So that we hope that this isn't just an exercise that, you know, a show they're putting on for the public. I mean, I, I think the Valparaiso City Council, if they're given a number of good plans, then they need to take the time and study them. Uh, listen to public input and decide which one will be best for Valparaiso for the next 10 years. I mean, that's the other thing to keep in mind. Um, these districts are in place for a decade. So it's something that really needs some consideration, some thoughtfulness, and some time. Julia, can we sort of uh, maybe do the, the Google map version of things where you, you pinch out and you want to kind of zoom out and see where you're at in the grand scheme of things? This is an issue that's happening not only across uh, northwest Indiana, but really across the Hoosier State, the Midwest. Uh, we, we hear a lot about gerrymandering um, on the East Coast, gerrymandering to the north here in Michigan. Like you said, it, it happens everywhere all the way back to uh, Revolutionary War times in the 1700s. What can local citizens do aside from run for office, you know, to try to go ahead and win a seat and hope they line up in term with that 10-year changing of the uh, the maps? What, what can citizens do or, you know, how do you stop people from just saying, well, this is just politics, you know, it is what it is? Because like you said, there's a lot that can happen over the course of 10 years from a shift in political dynamics to a shift in population density, as well as uh, classes and uh, races in terms of right. who predominantly ends up moving into an area that maybe yeah. they weren't there 10 years ago. So how do you keep this process long term? open? What can the average citizen do on a regular basis to make sure this is at the forefront so it's not just kick, the, kick down the, uh, the can's not kicked down the road every 10 years? Right. Well, you know, we've got to work together. You know, you mentioned Michigan, and they're a great example of how the citizens in Michigan worked together, uh, had a ballot initiative that radically transformed their redistricting process and actually put a bipartisan group of citizens in charge of their map drawing process last year for Congress and state legislature. It wasn't a perfect process, but it was certainly better than the one we had here in Indiana that was completely controlled by politicians and actually just one party, you know, because of the supermajority that we have controlling the Indiana State House. So the only way this is going to change, you know, you talked about electoral change and you know, people challenging the process by running for office. The problem with that route or that approach is that gerrymandering makes it really difficult. You know, gerrymandering makes the map maker uh, more important than voters in the majority of districts across our state. So we think the change has to begin and end with public policy. And so, you know, we're continuing to organize at both the state and local level for redistricting reform. 
And the exciting thing is it has actually happened at the local level here in Indiana. We have a couple of cities, and the interesting thing is they're radically different kinds of cities that have adopted Citizens Redistricting Commission. The first in the state was Bloomington. Uh, They passed a law last year, and they created a Citizens Commission that looks a lot like the one out in California, which is actually the gold standard of all states in terms of redistricting commissions. So, you know, kudos to Bloomington for being the first. And then I've also got to congratulate the city of Goshen, which, you know, very different place than the liberal college town of Bloomington. But the mayor of Goshen led an effort over there that was supported. You know, the mayor's a Democrat and the council is made up of a majority of Republicans. But they worked together to pass an ordinance to create a citizens commission over there. So that's the kind of change that we hope we can continue to build on here at the local level. And that kind of thinking needs to bubble up to the state house so that we can pass reform uh, so that in 2031, which is the next time we'll be drawing our congressional and state legislative lines, we won't have this huge conflict of interest where we allow politicians to choose their voters instead of voters choosing their politicians. So, Julia, in that response, you talked about gerrymandering and how, in effect, the the mapmaker becomes more powerful than the voter themselves uh, in terms of drawing those maps. So, what do we? How do we look at this now in terms of Indiana? And this is probably again more more bird's eye view than specifically about the the Valpo City Council. But we're seeing a, a lot of uh, polling places across the region being closed up in the last couple of years, being consolidated, as I think the terminology they sent out from the uh, the state house. And you're seeing um, you know election deniers on ballots across uh, across the Hoosier State as well, including for the uh, Republican Party for the Secretary of State. Um, um, I understand that you want to get people involved, but when you look at overall voting numbers in Indiana, and then you turn around and ask those people who do vote to also care about this thing, I feel like you really start to get into the weeds and you're really looking for people who are very, very, very politically active and knowledgeable, but that number doesn't feel like it's strong enough. How do you, well, you, know, how do you get more you know, information out to the people as well? Well, you know, your perception was is correct, but less so than it used to be. I mean, it you know, for years it's been really only the policy wonks and the ultra-political who care about these arcane voting issues. But as we've seen over the past uh, few elections, who gets to vote, who counts the vote, how elections are administered has an awful lot to do with who the winners are. So I think people are now recognizing that that behind-the-scenes stuff that you never used to worry about, you really need to worry about because it impacts the final result. I always, you know, compare it to the scene in The Wizard of Oz where the wizard says, no, don't look behind the curtain, don't look behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. We've got to look behind the curtain of our voting rights issues because that's one of the reasons why Indiana has such abysmal voter turnout. You know, even though we had record voter turnout in 2020, we still ranked 46 among all states for voter turnout. So we lag behind most others. We certainly lag behind the state of Illinois 
which over the past several years has implemented really significant voting reforms to make voting more accessible. So, you know, it's not just about the gerrymandering. I think that is a huge, the biggest uh, voting rights issue here in Indiana. But we also have to address the really restrictive voting laws that we have in Indiana, because that's impacting people's ability to participate as well. But, you know, I, I think that the gerrymandering does, it, it makes people just think, hey, you know, my voice doesn't matter because the the person who, who drew the map, you know, really had the impact in this race because this is a safe seat. So, um, you know, we've got to address these issues on a lot of different fronts, but I do think that gerrymandering is is the biggest elect voting rights issue we've got currently here in Indiana. Hey, Julia, this is Dee. So I have a question. So you just um, shared, you know, concerns about access um, and Common Cause Indiana, along with the League of Women Voters, Porter County, have shared concerns about the process. But I, I also wanted to note that Councilmember Robert Count. Cotton recently uh, questioned the accessibility to materials for the public. Have you guys heard that as well? Yes, and and the thing that concerns me is, you know, they've sort of produced this kit, this map-making kit, they being the Balfour City Council, Um, but I, I doubt very seriously it's the same kit that their consultant is using. You know, all of this is done via mapping software, and in fact, uh, we helped Councillor Cotton get in touch with a group at Tufts University. So there is actually some easy-to-use public mapping software available for Valparaiso residents to use to draw new district maps. We'll be demoing that at the public hearing tonight. Uh, but unfortunately, the Valpo City Council chose to not make that available um, it's public software. Anybody could use it. Um, but, you know, they wanted to take this, this sort of antiquated approach of people doing everything on paper and submitting it on paper. Um, so, you know, um, there are a variety of different ways to draw maps. Um, we certainly encourage people to comply with the rules that the Valpo City Council has set forth. Uh, and use the kit that they've made available because they're not going to accept accept your uh, map if you don't. But if you use our software, I think your end product, your finished map, uh, will be a better map because we um, have uploaded a lot of information about demographics, uh, race, um, income, a lot of different uh, information that will better inform the district drawing. So, um, you know, a lot of different options if people want to get involved in this process in Valparaiso. So you're uh, you're letting the, the voters become the map makers and ultimately give themselves twice the power, right? <laughs> we think that's the best way to do it. You know, again, there are districts. Um, we don't have the conflict of interest that sitting members of the council have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's just a different level of objectivity that citizens can bring to the process. So, you know, we're excited about the opportunity and definitely looking forward to a, a really good meeting tonight. And that meeting, again, is being held this evening from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Valpo High School. 
2727 Campbell Avenue and uh, enter through door number one. I know, you know, most high schools have 10, 15 uh, entrance and exit doors. So make sure you're going into door number one. Really quick, Julia, if somebody can't make the meeting tonight, um, how can they learn more or participate in this process? Well, certainly if you're there in Porter County, get in touch with the Porter County League of Women Voters. Uh, always encourage people to go to commoncause.org, our website, and sign up for action alerts. We'll keep you posted on what's going on with redistricting reform at both the state, local, and national levels. And definitely follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. A really good way to keep up with all that's going on around the state on these important voting rights issues. And I should note, Julia, before we uh, sign off on this conversation, that Lakeshore Public Radio is a partner with the uh, Calumet Area League of Women Voters, which is Lake County, along with the Porter County Women uh, League of Women Voters. Um, we've we've hosted and moderated several debates with them in conjunction and partnership with them. So that way, full disclosure for listeners. And again, uh, the event tonight uh, taking place Thursday, October 13th. That's this evening from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Valparaiso High School, 2727 Campbell Avenue. Enter in door number one. Julia, we're looking forward to uh, seeing the maps, and they probably won't make the hallways of Valpo High School like they would in terms of kids' art projects, but uh, hopefully one of them makes its way in front of the Valpo City Council for a vote on that map to go ahead and ensure, uh, to ensure uh, equi- equitable uh, voting rights and power for all people across uh, Valparaiso for the City Council seats. That's what we're working for. So thanks so much for the opportunity to spread the word and um, looking forward to seeing folks tonight up in Valpo. All right. Thank you for your time. This is Regionally Speaking. I'm Tom Maloney. She's D. Dots. And up next, Whitney Reynolds. Whitney Reynolds is a media mogul and a force to be reckoned with. The Whitney Reynolds Show focuses on public affairs that educate and inform viewers while also being dedicated to providing a safe space for delicate life stories. The tagline of the show, Your Story Matters, works to promote inclusion, invoke motivation, and drive social and individual change. The show is supported by interviews with celebrities, everyday people, as well as experts. The new season of The Whitney Reynolds Show centers around exclusive interviews of complete life turnarounds. This Monday, October 17th, will mark the premiere of Season 4 of the nationally syndicated, Emmy-nominated, and tele-award-winning Whitney Reynolds Show. Joining us now on the line to talk about the upcoming season is Whitney Reynolds herself. Whitney, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Oh, I am so excited to be here. And that intro, I when I was hearing you read it, like it is super surreal to think of all we have done over the last decade with the show. And I was like, you know what? That is exactly where we are right now. And hearing you say that was really surreal and a testament of how far we've come with this program starting on Lakeshore PBS. Absolutely. And let me just say, welcome back home, Whitney. You know, we are just so happy and so proud of all of the stories that you share with us and with our viewers on Lakeshore PBS with the Whitney Reynolds Show. So I was going to say, welcome back home. Well, I love it. You know, we have taken some big strides with this national syndication, but there is not one moment or one season that goes by that I am not 
ecstatic that Lakeshore is our home base. You guys took me in as a um, mid-20s girl on a mission and have really helped me develop this into a woman that is changing lives through telling stories. And so I am so grateful for everything we have done together and what's coming up. I, I'm so excited for this new season and the life turnaround that we will feature. Absolutely. So before we talk about this exciting new season, um, Whitney, I just want to say that your show is so inspiring. And as you shared, it promotes positive change while discussing tough topics. So how do you even choose the stories and the voices that you share? Well, that is a great question. We have been doing this now since I was, I pitched pitched PBS when I was 26. And I said, I want to do a show that's all about transformation and talking about digging deep with stories. And at the time, it was pre-COVID, pre this whole um, digging deep and owning what we've been through. And there was a lot of just lust out there. And I knew that I was called to do a little bit more. And I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but I knew that I wanted to tell deep stories. So at that point, we had to really, really do a ton of reaching out. And this is a decade ago. Now we are known for telling these deep stories. It is so cool to be a vessel for change that we get the most amazing pitches that come through WhitneyReynolds.com on a weekly basis. We have had so many amazing people reach out through social media, through our website, through all these different channels and really want to own their story. And that is how we've developed this new season. We work a season ahead. And so I actually flew out to Columbia, the country, for our season opener and got to talk about life change with a former terrorist on our season premiere. So, Whitney, you uh, you mentioned COVID uh, just a moment ago. The last time we talked was... COVID. Um, so it, it's been a couple of years, at least for you and I, to have that conversation, or rather this conversation. What was doing the show like for you during that time period uh, now as things have started to open up and we're kind of, you know, we, we see people on TV again and we're not six feet apart anymore. Um, but during this time, you know, you're taking uh, a show and you're taking a conversation that really does its best work face-to-face with the guests and doing a lot of uh, screen time with people. What was that like as a host trying to conduct uh, shows uh, without being face-to-face? I say this, of course, with you being on the phone right now and we're in the studio, but I digress. Well, and it's so good to hear your voice, Tom. I um, That is such an interesting concept because in, a, in so many ways, COVID transformed the way we do the Whitney Reynolds show, but it also helped elevate some of the people that we could get in that might not be in the Chicagoland area. So it was really twofold. One, it made me appreciate these face-to-face interviews, being back in person and being able to look the mother that lost a child in the eyes and her to really see I am with you in this moment is huge. And there is not a moment I take that for granted, being back in studio and being able to really connect with people. But on the other side, it has opened the gate. Like I have, there is, there are people in states that are now reaching out that, you know, even talking about what's going on overseas right now, we had people that have been overseas in hideout saying, Hey, let's hop on a zoom because I want to share my story. And that is something that 
has changed because of COVID, where we can actually have some very immediate conversations, even with people that aren't physically able to be with us, but they still want their story to be told. And so that's been another angle of really crazy things that have come out of this COVID stuff that for us, telling more stories, even with people that aren't here in Chicago. But of course, when we get these amazing stories or people are able to fly into our studio, we love that because we're able to share that moment together in studio and really connect on that personal deep level. So in season four now, you are not just on Lakeshore PBS. Whitney, you are, uh, as ZZ Top would put it, you are bad, you are nationwide. Um, can you tell us about <laughs> the growth of the show, where, where folks can go ahead and tune in all across the country? Yes. So we launched always first in our home market. We take great pride in Chicagoland. We want Chicago to be the first folks that see our show. So we always premiere on Lakeshore PBS, and we have been on Mondays at 630 for, I want to say, as long as I've been on Lakeshore. So Mondays at 630, and then again, we repeat on Sundays at 1030 in the morning, and we always premiere first in Chicagoland. I take great pride in that. And then we hit the nation. So on October 17th, depending on what market you are in, you can watch our show. You simply search The Whitney Reynolds Show. We also hit digital streaming after we premiere. We, you can be able to stream our stuff at 7. We premiere at 6.30 in Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana. And then you can stream us at 7. And then in all of our markets, we, we have the research showing that we are in 75% of the country, which is crazy and mind-blowing to me with national syndication, because that means that our topics are reaching every state on a new level. And that's really what it's about. You know, I get asked about, you know, being like a celebrity or what it's like being around celebrities. And I just want it to be known. There is nothing that we do to be famous on this show. So this show naturally with being national, it sounds really cool because I guess you could say you're in this like famous lane. For us, it's not about that. It is reaching people with hope and letting people know that their story matters. I was that young kid that grew up in Oklahoma that needed this mission. And so it's become my adult journey to really bring that. And as, more, as many people as we can reach, the better. And that's what we're all about. So coming up uh, this season on this show, Young Dreamers, Amazing Dads, An Unspoken Narrative. What can uh, viewers expect to go ahead and hear about uh, coming up here on Season 4? Okay, so we always say we're a show on a mission. And this season premiere, we go on a physical mission. I go to the country of Columbia, and I sit down with a former terrorist, and we talk about life change. And I'll tell you what. I have never been in this type of situation before, and I've never taken my viewers in this type of situation. And to be there and to see this life turnaround and to really understand what this guy went through and why he turned his whole life around and his journey to transformation is incredible. It is one of those shows that I am like, once I boarded the plane back home, I said, did we really just capture that? And I am so honored to be a safe space for that. You know, I, I was in high school when 9-11 happened, and I remember having so many questions about hate and why people would want to hurt people. And for the first time, and this was a different, this was a different scenario, but to understand 
a former terrorist and sit down with them and ask some of these tough questions to say, like, why? It was a really powerful moment to get some of those answers from this guy and to take the viewers in with us and to know that change can be for all different walks of life is truly powerful. So that's our season opener. And the amazing dads, I'll tell you, that's, a, that's been one of my favorite episodes because sometimes, you know, I'm a woman. I love my fellow boss babes. I love supporting women entrepreneurs. I love all that. But to feature these rocking dads that are making their mark is truly, it was really, really, really fun. And I can't wait to take people on that. I mean, actually, one of the guys is a historian. He's well known on TikTok. And he educated me in the studio. I, you know, we say that we do education on the show, too. But he really sat me down and educated me about what it's like to be a historian and to be a cool dad. And so that's a really neat show as well. And we also have Oh, you know, I'm a twin mom. We meet twins that were born conjoined and walk through the conjoined and we walk through the surgery with their parents of the separation. And actually today is the year mark of their separation. So we share that story too. And both twins are thriving today. It sounds like it's uh, it's beyond a, a packed slate. And and speaking of the the twins, your own twins and your husband uh, probably your uh, your biggest supporters through all of this. Uh, what, what's it been like, you know, as you say, being a, a boss babe and a, a working <laughs> mom um, when it comes to doing all of this? And, you know, let's talk about, you know, the, the support angle that I think, you know, mm. whether it's an amazing dad or a, a, a yeah. boss babe, you know, what role does your family play? You know, I, I assume your husband's not a cameraman and your kids aren't the technical <laughs> director and the, uh, you know, the prompter operator, but uh, they're still a part of it, right? Yeah, and can I just throw in there, Whitney, I love seeing your family um, on social media. Oh. I really, it's whenever you guys go on a trip, I feel like I am along on that trip as well. Oh, I love hearing that. You know, it, it's interesting because I, I lead with this with my team and, is family first. And that's a really easy thing to spout out and say, but you really have to work on that. Family first is a concept that I have been ever navigating since I decided to go into this journey of getting married and having kids and spinning what I call plates. And for a long time, I was hoping that the plates didn't drop. You know, I also pushed for national syndication. Since about day one, I had been wanting this since I started the show. And I have to tell you, everything works out in the right timing. And when I got told no for many, many, many years, it was hard. But I'll tell you, on this side of it, when I actually got that call in 2020 that we were going to be nationally syndicated, I knew, wow, this timing, my kids are going off to kindergarten next year. I got to be the mom I needed to be with them and to be, you know, with everything they needed me to be and then still be running a show. And now that we went national, you know, the kids started going to school all day long in Chicago. We, their, their kindergarten is an all-day program. And that was really when we once I got picked up nationally was when they went off to kindergarten. So the timing was amazing. My husband, you know, my, um, 
the TV show is the Whitney Reynolds show, and that is not his last name. And he gets called Mr. Reynolds more than I think anybody's ever been called <laughs> Mr. Reynolds. And he handles it like it's not. And he is just, I have to tell you, he is amazing with his support. And I say the Reynolds part because it doesn't even daze him. He is all team Whitney Reynolds show, moving the mission forward. And just like salt of the earth, let's go team. And he really rounds the troops and supports me with what we're doing each season. In fact, we lost one of my beloved cameramen of 10 years beyond. And um, I was at the funeral yesterday and he not only made it to the funeral, but then took a red eye out to go be with his company in California. And that just shows the support that I have, you know, with my, with my family. And I should note, you know, for other husbands out there whose wives have different last names, my wife's <laughs> kept her maiden name for much the same reason, Whitney. You know, I mean, maybe not that she has a TV show, but hey, honey, hint, hint, I, I work at Lakeshore uh, PBS. I, I can hook you up. Um, but, you know, people call me Mr. Govert. And when my son was born, they said Owen Govert. And I said, well, no, he's actually Maloney. And they're like, oh, we thought. And I'm like, that's eh, all right. And they're like, are you not Mr. Govert? And I said, no, I'm not. And, but again, it's one of those things where it's like you just you take it and you roll with it. Um, so more, more power to the boss I'm, babes. Yeah, well, and, I, you know, it's been this, you know, it's been watching women really step into being, you know, entrepreneurs. And I feel like this has really been, in, in, especially in my circle in Chicagoland, I've seen so many of my friends really not only dream, but do it. And that's a big deal. And I remember when I had first stepped into the Whitney Reynolds show, there was a circle of my friends that were stepping into some really cool stuff. And, you know, entrepreneurship is hard. At the end of the day, you know, I said this a minute ago, I got told no for many, many years. And, you know, we lead on social media or email blast with our victories, right? But there are many times when we get told no and we have to keep pushing and really supporting each other and seeing women have that base is really cool. And women supporting women has been something really neat that I've seen, you know, in my own life. So I'm like, go boss, babe, go. But we love our men too, obviously, right? <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So Whitney, I was listening to you earlier speak about the upcoming season and how you shared your excitement for your guest. But I just have a question for you. And it may be difficult for you to answer, but who is your most memorable guest? Well, I'm going to go with the season premiere. When I was sitting down face to face, and I had to ask those tough questions. And to see the tears rolling down his face, and answering. And he was answering in another language. We had a translator. And that little delay for the translator to answer back, I just knew it was, and I, I wish that you guys, I know this is radio right now, so you can't see it. So you got to watch it on Monday. But you could see the pain and you could feel what he's been through. And I'll tell you that those tears are forever with me. And it's also the hope that even if we've done really bad things with our stories, each chapter can be a new one. There is still hope for people out there. And that's what I found on that show. And I'll tell you, that, that guest, and he is our season opener, you won't want to miss. Whitney, you've, you've been doing the show now for years. You've interviewed dozens to hundreds of people. Who's still on your list? 
Who do you need to talk to or talk with? Who's that one person, that one guest? And and, and I want names as opposed to, you know, I want to talk to somebody about this topic. I, I want to know who you want to talk with. Uh, yeah, I, that's a great, that is something, and I hope she's listening. Yeah, Oprah, where are you? There it is. Want, there it is. I want to sit down with Oprah because she took Talk TV Next Level, and she made it possible for a show like me to do what I do, to tell big stories and to have people do appointment television. And I am so grateful because before that, and I'm not going, I grew up on Jenny Jones. I love those talk shows as well. But Oprah connected the dots for me of, okay, now I can really have a mission and use my voice to create change. And she's still doing it. I mean, I, I'm always like, I, we run in very, it's not, it's not the same circles, but we run with a lot of people that have worked with each other. And I know at some point I'm going to sit across the table and get to chat with her and talk about the strides she made for a show like mine. And also the inspiration that she gave a young girl from Oklahoma that had a pretty crazy story that the world would have said, you know, you're too damaged and really known that I could make my mark with what I've been through. So she would be someone that I would be forever welcome at my table. (laughs) Wow, that's powerful, Whitney. So Whitney, you have so much going on. You are a wife, a mother, the executive producer of your show, Emmy-nominated and Tully Award-winning, I might add. And I just want to throw this in here as well, host extraordinaire. And so before I let you go, I am going to crown you Miss Public Media. And the reason that I say that is because you recently hosted the 54th Annual Public Media Awards. Can you take a moment to just tell us about that experience? Oh, that was a career high for me Uh, to be in a room. And, you know, when I first moved over to PBS, I was a very, I was told by so many people, you are a completely different type show and look for us and you're really young and this might not be successful. I was told all this. And so I took it in and I have made it very deliberate why I love public media. I love public media. And I do know I am a different type of show for it. And I knew that from the day we started. So to be asked to host the public media awards was flooring for me to know that CEOs from markets all around the nation were in one room and program directors and To be asked to host that was just, I have to tell you, it was a career high. I got asked to host it next year as well. So I'll be back for 2023. Oh, congratulations. Well, thank you. And to be in a room with such amazing storytellers, too, and to see what they won. Like, we were, it was the award show. So we were with the people that were winning the best and the best in public media. And to be in that room and to support each other was truly amazing. We're talking with Whitney Reynolds. Yes, the host with the most with her (laughs) own TV show, The Whitney Reynolds Show, uh, debuting here on uh, Monday evening. And Whitney, um, I I, I just got to tell you, um, I I am amazed, I think, every time I I turn around and it's like, oh yeah, she's she's back, she's back, she's back, she's back. (laughs) And it's because it's, 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 it's so hard to 
do the work that you do. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think people understand. You know, I, I look across the, the desk at D on a daily basis, and she just gives me this loving look of how much she enjoys doing what she does. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's normally death stares and daggers. And, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're constantly booking. You're constantly looking for that next story to be able to tell, to be able to share. You know, we, we talk about the grind, but, you know, it's, it, it's tough out there in, in the world of media because you are just filling a vast ocean of content, right? It's, a, you mm-hmm. know, the machine always wants more. The airwaves always want more. The digital streams always want more. What's that been like for you on a personal level to kind of, I mean, you are your brand, right? So when, when yeah. Dee says she loves seeing the family on social media, when you go to WhitneyReynolds.com and you go to Instagram, Whitney underscore Reynolds. Yeah. You are there. You are the face yes. of everything. What's what's that been like for you on a personal level? Well, this is my life's work. This is what I I have to consider myself very fortunate of what I know God has charged me with here on earth. I know what my gift is, and I also know how to use it. And I think connecting those dots for anybody is one of the most powerful gifts you can live out here. So the fact that I know this and that I have the game plan is step number one. Now it's how do we reach more people to really charge them to connect those own dots in their life. And so when I say it's my life's work, this is exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'm fortunate enough that I'm on now 10 years in and I'm 36. And how do we do this? So I'm 66. And so it really is falling in love with those stories and being that vessel for change and not doing it to chase necessarily the money, the fame, the whatever else the world would say we do TV for, but really know my inner compass for why I do it. And that is what keeps me going. And you're right. I am the face. And it was really funny because, you know, I, God has this way of humbling me. I, you know, Insta stories or Facebook stories popped up and said, two years ago, this was you. And I had lost a darn veneer on a chocolate covered strawberry. And I'll tell you, that was not a pretty face that day because, but that is the real deal of Whitney. And when you get to know us outside of the show, you realize, oh my gosh, this is a real human too. Like we have dirty houses and dirty diapers and I lost a tooth on a strawberry. That was really bad. Not my best look. But I'll tell you, like I tell everyone else, and I put this on Facebook today, just as we tell our viewers and we end the show, your story matters, so does mine. And those story points and those hard moments and those good moments are all combining a beautiful, beautiful story that is meant to be shared with the world and connect with others. So that is how I keep going. Whitney, we want to thank you so much for sharing your story today here on Regionally Aww. Speaking. We've got a wrap. As you know, yes, the clock is thank king. Thank you so much. And thank, thank you so much. And thanks for the viewers. We'll see you 6.30 Monday, Lakeshore PBS. Thank you for your continued support, Dee and Tom. It really means the world. Once again, the new season of The Whitney Reynolds Show, a topics-based talk show that is driven by positive change through real-life issues, premieres Monday, October 17th at 6.30 p.m. on Lakeshore PBS, on Channel 56, as well as on DirecTV, Dish Network, and AT&T U-verse.
Comcast Xfinity viewers can find Lakeshore PBS on Channel 17 or 21, while RCN viewers can tune to Channel 44. The live broadcast can also be streamed online at lakeshorepbs.org or via the free PBS video app on popular digital platforms. I'm Tom Maloney. She's D. Dots, and this is Originally Speaking.